Greetings. What you've just heard was Sunriders from the 1997 adventure game Atlantis The Lost Tales. Welcome to the first of these two very special episodes of the podcast featuring composer, sound artist, multi-instrumentalist, sculptor, poet and adventurer Pierre Esteve. Pierre has very kindly given me permission to include a lot of his music in these two episodes. So you will be hearing many pieces interspersed with our discussion. Where the name of a track isn't evident from what we are talking about, you can refer to the book-style table of contents for these episodes to see what was played at what point. And welcome to my podcast, Pierre Estev, and uh, many thanks for doing this. This is a great honor for me, and um, it's a culmination of a long journey for me, actually. I was thinking it might be exactly 25 years or so since I first played a game where I got to know some of your beautiful music. Welcome, and thanks for doing this. Could you give a short introduction of yourself? And... Um, let us know what all kinds of activities you are involved in these days. Thank you, Simo, for the invitation uh, to this discussion. My name is Pierre Esteve, and uh, I am a composer and artist. I compose uh, a lot of music for video games, movies, and also for concerts. I do a lot of uh, experimentations with sound, uh, whether it could be uh, with natural things like stones, wind, water, and also, of course, I work with uh, usual instruments like uh, orchestras, guitars, electric instruments, electronic instruments, and computer music. And also I have uh, a recording company, which is called Shooting Star, uh, which issues uh, my records and some records of other artists. And also I have a a non-profit organization, which is called Art Science 21, Uh, which works uh, at a crossroads of art, science, and sustainability. Maybe we, we will, I, I will tell more when we talk together. Right, I want to cover all these topics for sure. We should also mention at this point uh, where people can find out more information about you. You have your Bandcamp page where people can listen to your music and buy it, of course. And uh, you have a website. Is it uh, was it the case that the website was off for a time and is now returning? Or yes, we did a complete refund of the site, and uh, in some months I will offer something special on my uh, website that people can listen to all my music because I have uh, I record almost every day, and uh, only uh, a small percentage of my music is available on CDs. So a lot of people asked me to to propose more music that I will do. I will add my vote to that. And uh, that is, of course, like you must know, something that the Greek composer Vangelis does. Uh, He plays and records every day, and it's only a tiny percentage of his output also that's been released for commercial reasons. I love this idea of there being a lot more music, and uh, to have access to it, that would be wonderful. 
uh, I, I had this idea because I discovered through the years that uh, a lot of people who love my music became friends, like you, for example, because we, kn we know each other for such uh, a long time now. And, uh, and they asked me to have a, a closer relationship to my uh, music. So I do it uh, not for commercial reasons, because I don't think there is a lot of money to, to get from this, but more to be in a, a different uh, way of connecting to people and not only through usual um, uh, labels and uh, money must not be the only way to work with people. I really like that idea and just the whole difference of approach. Um, uh, then also we should mention your YouTube channel. I love watching some of the videos where you can, for example, see a lot of your huge instrument collection. Is the Flowers of Change YouTube channel also run by you? Yes, it's not run by, by me, it's run by um, Science 21 the non-profit association. Uh, but uh, all, all what you see is photographed by me or videos I made. Right. Actually, now that we mentioned it, this is uh, all out of chronology because I want to uh, soon go to some of the earlier days also. But uh, because we mentioned Flowers of Change, uh, that's another wonderful project. And uh, yet it's difficult for me to put it into words. Could you describe what it is and uh, whether it's still ongoing and uh, how would you put it? Uh, yes, Flowers of Change is a very special project. It's a project I, I do with people. Uh, so the, the concept is to have a, a kind of forest made of uh, huge flowers. They can be up to six meters high and they are made with uh, recycled plastic bottles. And uh, they are interactive. Some have light and sound. All, all, this, all the sound ecosystem is made uh, out of plastic too. And uh, I, I may work with, the more I worked it with uh, 5,000 people helping me to collect the bottles and make the forest. Um, so forests may be very huge. And, uh, and it's a kind of video game, uh, but a video game outside of the, of the screen you know, where you can walk and experience things. Um, the sound of this forest is uh, always evolving like the in real life so the sound is different in the morning or in the afternoon and uh, sometimes if the installation is uh, left for uh, several months it can change also with the seasons so it's it's a very uh, special way of working because it mixes plastic art and uh, also with music augmented uh, reality because uh, it, you you don't see any technology but uh, the forest reacts to the people working in, in it. Are these installations in some cases permanent or do they blossom and then are they taken down or do they continue to exist? Uh, both exist. Uh, I don't have a permanent one, but sometimes they, they stay for nine months or so. And when the exhibition is finished, uh, for the exhibitions um, where I worked with people, everybody takes uh, his flowers or her flower uh, back home. That's a lovely project. I was also reading about it. Was it the larger, largest one where there were 900 children or more, or have there been even bigger ones? I think they were from a hospital or something like that, if I remember correctly. Yes, uh, there have been uh, more people. This was uh, in Grenoble, the one you're talking about in France. 
But uh, now I, I work with thousands of people. And uh, uh, also I forgot to mention that the title is Flowers of Change, Flowers of the Anthropocene. The Anthropocene being the, the period we are living now where the human activities change the world. And when uh, I do an exhibition, we have the possibility then to talk about all the changes that we are facing now, uh, nowadays. Um, it may be uh, weather change or change of politics, changes uh, of, um, how do you say, uh, a span life. The, the flowers of change, they talk about also transhumanism. Right, transhumanism. I thought at first you were meaning transformation, but transhumanism, I guess, is transforming humanity or humankind. Yes, that's right. Because they are a kind of change, or, or flowers of change, are themselves made out of plastic, and uh, they have lights, they have sound. They are a kind of um, robotic flowers. And uh, this uh, is um, an allusion a symbol to what uh, humankind may experience in the future, in the future times. I'm very much interested in uh, science, nature, and biomimicry. And uh, in Flowers of Change, I can experience all this. I mean, I can imagine um, a full sound ecosystem, the way the flowers interact with people, the way they interact with other flowers and so uh, all the forest behaves like uh, a giant ecosystem. Yes and it also does have that uh, connection. I thought that was very astutely observed that there's a kind of video game quality to it in the sense that the games that you've been involved with and uh, I would say the Atlantis games in particular for me they have such an immersive quality and they combine sound, visuals, colors are very important, and moving about in environments. The Atlantis games were the first ones to really give that feeling uh, of moving through an actual forest or Atlantean city or something, and you saw it from your own perspective. And so uh, there's a, a wholeness of conception to the Flowers of Change project. Uh, where you go in the middle of something beautiful and the sound and color and everything. Yes, you're absolutely right. And uh, what I learned in the video game uh, for the sound, for example, uh, in making a very immersive uh, soundtrack which can mix with uh, the sound effects and ambiences, I used it also in the, in the Flower of Change project. It means, for example, that I, I do a kind of uh, generative music which mixes with uh, parts which are more composed and I know that everything will fit uh, in any combination. So uh, what you are saying about video games and my latest works in uh, immersive installations is completely right. And also I think the themes uh, which are in Flowers of Change, you can find them also in Atlantis or in previous works I did. Uh, for example, a friend of mine showed me that the forest in Atlantis 4 looks in some ways to my Flowers of Change uh, forest.
yes, you've been involved not only in the music, uh, and I, I'm mentioning this specifically to underline it, that it's not only music that you have created, but also soundscapes and uh, the whole sound design of many of the projects you've been involved with. Uh, so, for example, with the Atlantis games, I was reading how involved you were in uh, the conceptual stage also, and uh, then you got to do the sound design, which became important to the whole experience. Yes, you're right. I think that uh, the sound in general in a, an art piece, it may be a, a video game, or a movie or an installation, makes a whole. I don't separate the sound effects, the ambiences, and the music and the voices. I think they all uh, are part of the same thing. And uh, for example, when I do the, the sound effects, I often tune the sound effects so that they can mix uh, very uh, nicely with the music. Or I take care uh, at the, the voices, the timbre and the height uh, of the voices. Uh, so when someone is speaking low or high, uh, I try to um, interact with the voice for the music and so on. So uh, what you mentioned is, is very correct, uh, that um, everything makes a whole uh, in the soundtrack. That's really a fascinating area for me to uh, learn about and be aware of. I wasn't aware that you had also done it to that degree to take care of all the layers of uh, sound and have them fit together that way. It's similar to what a composer called Ron Jones did for Star Trek The Next Generation. He's a really meticulous and intelligent composer and he's described that what he did was um, he learned as much as he could of the different pitches of the sound effects that were going to be in the scenes. For example, on the Starship Bridge, there would be always the same hum going and, and some different beeps uh, being heard. And so every piece of music that he wrote, for example, that Starship Bridge would step around those sounds and of course the sounds of the human voice. So nothing was uh, interfering with uh, the other elements and uh, everything was working together just as you were describing. Exactly. And, and this goes uh, so far sometimes that uh, for Atlantis Evolution, I uh, issued last uh, year the, the soundtrack and I had to, um, to do some editing because um, some, new, some of the music were not working correctly without the ambience of the place because uh, a drone, the sound of a room, for example, has a frequency. And this frequency makes a kind of drone. And if you miss this drone, it's missing to the music. So I did uh, a lot of, of work searching in my archives to find not only the musics, but also to find the, the soundtracks, the ambiences. And for some of the tracks of the record, uh, I was very happy to put everything together again. Were some of the resulting pieces uh, different in that sense that there was... What I mean to ask is, did you include some of the environmental sounds on the album tracks also? Yes, of course. And I, I used some of the um, ambiences were uh, in, the, in, in the original game, but also I uh, added field recordings that I did in several places in, in Canarias, uh, where Atlantis was supposed to be. It's one of the places that w was uh, possible. And I went there and I recorded 
uh, the very uh, special sound of the waves on the rocks because they have small gallets and and when the sea goes on these stones they make a very special sound it's uh, tiny but i i love it in atlantis there are two places where i recorded the sea one is in canarias and the other one is in greece so the sea is different and uh, it's also the sea that could have seen atlantis also love hearing about this that uh, not only were you including field recordings but very specific recordings from very specific places i was going to ask about one of the tracks now that we are talking about this it's on the atlantis the lost hair soundtrack the one called muria Yes, and for this piece, the water was uh, considered like an instrument. So when the singer was singing, she could listen to the to the rhythm of the waves to um, to catch the essence of this sound and to reproduce it with the way of singing. Oh, that's wonderful! I didn't realize that many composers might have just done those separately and not even considered about the interaction. But 
uh, I think that's uh, a wonderful way of doing it and adding to it. Yes, I think it's very important. It's like an opera. In an opera, you have to, everything counts, the way the people uh, move on stage, the music, the singing. So it's better to do this also in video games or in movies. For example, uh, I remember that Sergio Leone and uh, composer Ennio Morricone, they used to play some of the musics for battles or, or final duels in some of their most famous uh, movies, like uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. And this kind of choreography works only if we can listen to the music. Then uh, the actors, they can do the right mimic, they can move, in the, in the tempo of the music, and this uh, leads to a fantastic uh, uh, piece of art. Yes, you are right, and I agree about that. If what I read about it, it is accurate, um, by the time that they did uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, they'd been working together so long that Sergio Leone also wanted to do it the other way. I'm kind of repeating partly what you said, but uh, some of the pieces of music were written without there being even the final scene or any kind of scene. They hadn't recorded anything yet, so then Sergio Leone was working to make the scene fit the music completely. I recently found a video on YouTube where somebody had removed the music completely from the final shootout confrontation with Charles Bronson and uh, his opponent, and uh, it was actually done as an exercise for a film school uh, where they were practicing adding Foley effects to film. I don't think it works as a result. It's, of course, comedic almost that way because it's people just walking around and staring and you don't get the emotions really because for that scene, of course, with the music, it makes sense for them to be poker-faced. But without the music, that level of emotion is absent. Exactly. And this is not only true for music, but also for sound effects or ambiences. When you want to, to tell a story uh, through sound, uh, you don't have to, to be real. For example, in the in introduction of Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, if you li listen closely to the sounds, only the meaningful sounds are heard. All the other sounds are taken out. And it's very interesting that if you listen to this uh, introduction scene from the point of view of, of sound designer, who would do the basic work, there is a lot of errors. In fact, everything uh, is not possible. You cannot hear the fly, you cannot hear an harmonica behind a train, uh, and, and so on. So I like this way of working when the sound helps to take the listener or the viewer in a special uh, ambience where you want to bring him. I also, I often like when I notice that kind of artificiality, uh, I mean, when I say artificiality, I don't mean it as a negative, but when I notice that if somebody was actually in that situation, they wouldn't be able to hear this other person whispering his or her line. This happens, for example, in one of my favorite films, Field of Dreams. At the end, uh, there's... Um, a dead baseball player who has come back and he's standing way off in the field and Kevin Costner's character is standing near his home farmhouse and uh, they have an exchange that they couldn't normally hear but it works in that context also for the reason that the other character was a supernatural character so it could also be kind of in their mind or telepathic or but even in cases where sometimes I'm aware that 
they couldn't possibly be walking silently on that floor with those shoes. In some scene, if I just happened to be thinking of something like this, that there would be footstep noises, but it still feels right. And I like the theatricality of it, that they decide what sounds to have and what not to have there. Yes, because when you are uh, an artist, you don't have to be to look for a kind of reality. Uh, you want to express something, you have to find a way to express with your own voice, and, uh, and then everything is possible. Mm -hmm. 